You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. Uh, John, I'm just going to go right in. I'm going to read the passage that, that I'm, we're going to kind of skip through the first introduction of John. Um, and I'm going right into Jesus' ministry. Okay, and I'll explain here in a second. Go to verse 35. That's where I'm going to start. Jesus starts calling people uh, to follow him. And it says this in verse 35. I'm going to read down to 35 in the rest of the chapter. So follow along with me. It says this, the next day, so John, the guy named John the Baptist is proclaiming that Jesus, he's the Lamb of God. Uh, and so now Jesus starts calling people. And he says, verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So this John the Baptist has two people who are following him. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And this is what John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. Uh, so John the Baptist is fulfilling what he was mandated to do from his birth, which was to prepare the way of, of the Lord as Jesus came into the world. And so it says the two disciples heard him say this, and then they left John the Baptist, basically, and followed Jesus. Uh, Jesus turned in verse 38 and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? I love Jesus' questions. Kind of gets to the, right to the heart. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, which would be about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, so this Andrew says to Simon, Peter, his brother, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, that's Peter, and he says, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Then it says, this is really the passage we're going to be in, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So Jesus said, we're going to head to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so they probably knew each other. Philip found Nathanael. And says to him, he's kind of going from one person to the other. We found him. The one in whom Moses, the law, Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. Here he is. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit or no guile or Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said back, answered him, before Philip called you, when you were hanging out under a fig tree, sounds like a good place to hang out, he's just hanging out under a fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And you will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. So this is what, we have Jesus beginning ministry here. And he's going out and calling people, Andrew, Peter, and then a guy named Philip. Jesus, in verse 43, decides just to go to Galilee, just as anyone might decide to head to uh, St. Jacob's Market. We're going to go to St. Jacob's. 
I'm kind of over St. Jacob's Market, so I probably wouldn't decide to go there, but Jesus decides to head to Galilee. He says an interesting thing to Philip. He doesn't ask for directions. Philip, how do we get to Galilee? He doesn't ask for directions or how the weather is. What does Jesus say to Philip? Follow me. In verse 43, follow me. It's an interesting request. Mark, I don't know if I've ever asked you just to follow me before. It's something we don't typically do. It's a request full of sacrifice and commitment. Follow me. There's nothing to suggest in Philip that he had any sort of special ability. You know, kind of like when we started Restoration Church, I was thinking in my head, okay, who can do sound for me really well, right? Come along. Come along and be a part of our church plan. Or who can play, who can hit the high notes of oceans really, really well? Come along. Be a part of our church plan. That's doesn't seem to reflect anything in Philip that he had some sort of special ability other than that he was just there and Jesus says, follow me. In fact, Philip sometimes lacked faith. He was the logical thinker, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. He was the logical thinker, the details guy. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was the guy when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people and then they look and Jesus says, feed all these people, hand out the fish and the bread. Philip is the guy who's like, we don't have enough. We're not gonna, we don't don't have nearly enough, Jesus. He was the details guy. Like, how many fish do we need? That's not enough. We are well short. He was also the guy in the upper room discourse in Acts 14, which we went through, if you remember last year, the upper room discourse. Philip was the guy, when Jesus started talking, Philip's like, Jesus, I need something more than just you. Show us the Father, and then it will be enough for me. And Jesus like, really, Philip? Oh, we've been through? I'm not enough for you? Like, you need more evidence? Philip was the details guy and sometimes lacked faith. He was the one who struggled with that there were always reasons not to jump fully on board. And yet, to Philip's credit, he does follow Jesus in this passage, which is wild. Because when you understand that, I don't know if I'm cutting in and out or something, Brian, I can kind of hear myself cutting in and out, so I don't know what we need to do there. Uh, if we need to change something, we got fresh batteries, but uh, hopefully we'll be good to go. Um, if I do, I'll probably have to switch microphones because that's going to bother me. Uh, even more credit given to Philip when you understand that in that day, follow me. Like when some of you I asked to follow me to plant a church. Now that required some commitment, a lot of commitment. Some of we ask, lead wor- Amber leads worship for us, and that requires a lot of commitment. But when Jesus says, follow me, what does that mean? He basically means leave everything behind. This is going to, there's not one part of your life that's not going to be affected by following me. That's a massive sacrifice to make, to follow Jesus. It literally means go get packed up. Like go home, pack up your stuff, because we're, we're heading west to Bethsaida. That, that's literally what follow me. It didn't meant, you know, for me, when, when I followed Jesus, it meant, you know, I, I, the, the speaker gave out little cards that I signed my name and stuffed it in my Bible. And it's like, I'm a follower of Jesus now. But when Jesus said, follow me, it literally meant go home, pack your stuff, because we're leaving in an hour. Like, that, that's what follow me meant for Jesus. We're leaving in an hour. That is some commitment. Like, how many of us would say, yes, I will leave all of it behind to follow this man. 
How many of us would actually do that? I don't know. Like, to Philip's credit, for someone who sometimes struggled with faith, he does follow Jesus. Seems crazy, but that's what the word in this passage, akalutheo, which is I follow or to follow someone, that gives us the clearest picture of Christian discipleship to follow. It's the clearest picture of Christian discipleship is to go home, pack your bags, everything is going to change. There's not one part of your life that's not going to be upended by following. It literally means to follow in the footsteps behind someone. So if Kale was walking in front of me in the snow, however he was walking, I would place my feet directly in his, uh, in his footprint to follow behind someone exactly as they are w- walking. Typically, our concept of discipleship is what? It's typically accomplishing some sort of task. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like, when we say discipleship, what do we usually mean? Like, we're going to do a Bible study together, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we're going to go through a book or a course, maybe, that you take in school. Like, that's, that's typically how we view discipleship, kind of a classroom setting, that we're going to learn some things. Um, and it could be part of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But this picture of following Jesus isn't accomplishing a certain ta- task. It's proximity to a person. Akalutheo is not get your degree or finish this Bible study. It's be close to me. Whatever I do, you do. When I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. When I eat, you eat. When I sleep, you sleep. That's what Christian discipleship is pictured as. That's what following is, to literally walk in the footsteps of. With that understanding, this following challenges us to consider one thing first, our own intentions when we say we're going to follow Jesus. Does it not? Does that not challenge our own intentions? We say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you consider, is that me? Like, do I literally follow in Jesus' footsteps that it upends everything in my life? It changes everything in my life? Are we prepared to really follow? I love Jesus' questions. In the previous passage, when he calls Andrew and Peter, he doesn't just say, follow me. He actually asks them, what are you seeking? Andrew and Peter, almost like, why are you following me? What is your intention here? Because it's possible, as you read through the Gospel of John, that some people stop following him. Their intentions are made known. In John 6, it says, after they uh, learn some hard truths, it says a whole bunch of people stopped following Jesus. So it's possible, it, it, this kind of following Jesus causes us, it challenges us to consider our own intentions because it's possible to stop following Jesus. Following does this though, and this is kind of where I want to go. Following does this. Following causes you to really get to know someone. You can't really get to know someone just by taking a course. A course is great, but you can't really get to know someone just by a classroom setting learning about them. Without following them, you really can't get to know them. You must observe what they do, how they live, what they like, 
what they don't like, you know, you can't really know someone without following them. And that seems like quite the sacrifice. And yes, it is a massive sacrifice. I would just say this, for those of you who even have, whether it's marriages or close friendships, to really know someone takes a ton of sacrifice. You can't know someone without some part of sacrifice of your own. You know, you could take, Andrew, you could take a week-long intensive course on Jen at school, but Jen's not there. Jen's Andrew's wife, by the way. Those of you who don't know Jen and Andrew, that would, that would help. You need to know that. That would, that would definitely help. You know, this week I helped teach a week-long intensive uh, at Heritage uh, College and Seminary on church planting. But none of the people in the class had ever planted a church. So it's like you can learn a, you can learn a bit from that week-long intensive, but you really don't know church planting until you what? Plant a church. Same with like if you were to take a week-long intensive on your spouse and they're going to tell you everything, which probably would be really helpful. But you really don't get to know your spouse until you what? You have to spend a ton of time with them, with them. Not learning about them, but learning with them, like following in their footsteps. And that takes a ton, a ton of sacrifice. Andrew, imagine being like, imagine Jen uh, uh, coming to you and saying something, and you're like, well, that's not what my professor said you would be like. You know what I mean? Like that, it takes a ton of time to really get to know someone and you have to spend a ton of time with them. And that takes a lot of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice we willingly take on for friendships, church, and marriage, but it's a sacrifice nonetheless. I mean, this came, this came obvious to me when I stopped to check myself at the door because, and I'm like, I was just going to run to the grocery store to get chips, which no one's going to argue about going to the grocery store to get chips. But in my head, I'm like, I should tell Nikki. Nikki, I'm just running out to the grocery store to get chips. Without knowing Nikki, I would just go to the grocery store. But now it's like you almost feel like you have to say where you are all the time. Um, I'm not bitter about that at all. I'm just saying like, that's part of, you know what I'm talking about? Like that's part of knowing someone and being in a relationship with them. The more you know someone, the more sacrifice it takes. And you might say, Aaron, I don't really know if I want to sacrifice that much in my relationship with Jesus. And I guess I would say to you, then you can't know Jesus. You, you can't. You might say, Aaron, I don't know if I want to sacrifice that much. You, then you won't know Jesus. The only way to know someone, really know someone, is to akalutheo, follow, enter another guy, Nathaniel. I like Nathaniel. Enter Nathaniel. <laughs> I will tell you. Enter Nathaniel. We don't know a lot about Nathaniel. He's not a part of the 12. As the list. Some commentators think he was or another name go by. I don't think so. I think he's just another follower. Jesus, not a part of the 12. That's my own opinion. But he's a friend of Philip's. And Philip runs up to Nate. I'll just call him Nate for the service. Because <laughs> it's short form. Uh, he runs up to Nate. He's like, Nate, Nate, we found him. Found who? We, like him, the Messiah. The, you know, all of the scriptures that we've learned, like, they're pointing to one person 
And it's him. We found him. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Israel. The guy Moses, the whole Bible is talking about. And Nate's like, okay, okay, okay. So, so, so who is he? So if you found him, who is this guy? And, 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 and I can picture Philip. He's probably freaking out. He's like, you know, his name is Jesus, which is not a profound name, by the way. It's a profound name to us now because we know who Jesus is. But if you were to name this is Jesus, that would be like, this is Dave. Like, it's not, it, Jesus is just, it's just a, like, it comes from Joshua. Like this, there's nothing profound about just the name Jesus. And then not only that, he says it's Jesus of Nazareth, and he's the son of a carpenter named Joseph. And I can picture Nate being like, no, that's no, no. You, the guy, the scriptures, what we've learned the whole time is pointing to is Dave, Sorry to those who are named Dave. I'm using your name very poorly. Uh, is is like Dave from accounting? Like that that's that's that that's who the scripture is pointing to? Like Dave from accounting? From Brantford? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. We can poke fun at Brantford. It's Brantford. I don't make the rules. It's Brantford. No one likes Brantford. Right? Like, nah, that's, 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 that's not him, you know? Nazareth was not unknown to Nate. It was. It was like backwater town. Can anything good come from there? No one goes to Nazareth. I'm from, I, sorry, I apologize. Those who may be from near Brantford. Uh, <laughs> I don't know everyone in the room where they're from. Um, I'm from Chatham, so I can't say anything. So everyone makes fun of Chatham west of here, so everyone makes fun of Brantford around here. <sighs> Can anything good come from there? Nazareth? Here's what was the problem with Nate was, and I feel it's saying, I, I can put myself in Nate's shoes. His expectations were getting in the way, as expectations tend to do. Whether it's marriage, church, expectations tend to get in the way as expectations usually do. You guys know what I'm talking about. Nathaniel had a lens that he viewed life through, right? Like whether you want to call it baggage or a lens that you view life through, that's Nathaniel, just like all of us have a lens that we view life through. And he couldn't fathom that the Messiah, the most important figure to ever walk this planet, is from Brantford. Like he couldn't, he couldn't fathom that. Like, that's not, that doesn't fit the lens, a backwater town with no appeal at all. <laughs> Still, I feel bad now saying Brantford. Like, Nazareth, I'll, keep, I'll go back there. A backwater town of having no appeal at all. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense with the expectations that I thought Messiah would be. You know, we scoff at Nazareth. Later on in Acts 24 in our series in Naval Gaze, I think it was Brian who preached from this passage, uh, Felix, the governor, when they bring a charge to Paul, he's like, this is the sect, this crazy group of the Nazareans, right? They're scoffing at them. This is from Nazareth. I can get on board Jesus from Jerusalem, Jesus of Antioch, you know, but Jesus of Nazareth? Nathaniel likely suffered from too much familiarity, right? I know Joseph. Like, he, he fixes my table, right? right? Like, that guy fixes my table. Uh, or those of you who are from Cambridge, 
you all think Cambridge sucks, don't you? Right? You, you suffer from too much familiarity. I love Cambridge because I'm not from Cambridge. But everyone from Cambridge is like, this place is terrible. I hate it, Aaron. Everywhere is, Chatham is better. It's not better than Cambridge. I can tell you that. Okay? He suffered from too much familiarity. He knew these people. He couldn't fathom that the Messiah would this close to home. Again, I can do Jesus from Jerusalem, but not Jesus of Nazareth. Here's my point that I'm getting to. And I think the point of this passage that is going to challenge us as we take a clear look of who Jesus is. You can either form your entire life through the lens of Jesus, which is the cause of discipleship, to form your entire life through the lens of Jesus, or do what uh, uh, Nate was tempted to do, which is you can form Jesus into your particular lens. Or you kind of have one of two ways you can go. You can either form your entire life through the lens and teachings of Jesus, or you can form Jesus into your particular lens. Something's going to change. Either it's you or you're Jesus. I hope you are, know which one I think should change between those two things. Your expectations or Jesus. This is where we all need to express some humility because none of us, none of us are like clear of that. None of us are above having a bias that we bring into how we view Jesus. None of us. Okay? If you're thinking right now, you know what, that person needs to hear this message, you're missing the point. We are all Nathaniel. All of us are Nate in this passage. We all bring a bias or a desire of how we want Jesus to be, but he might not be that. We all need to express some humility. We are all Nate in this passage. When we read the Gospels, through the experience of the disciples, we get to experience Jesus with them. And like Nathaniel, we all have a bias for what we want Jesus to be and what we don't want him to be. And no one is exempt from that. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, who was a psychologist, said this once, intuitions come first, strategic reasoning comes second. Basically what he's saying is that none of us sees everything clearly. None in the room, including myself, except for me. I'm just kidding. None of us see everything clearly. None of us. We all tend to drift toward conclusions that we want to conclude with but it might not be true. That's the problem. And all of us are susceptible to that. We all tend to drift toward conclusions that we want to conclude. Not that they're conclusions, but that we want to conclude. In other words, all of us really want Jesus to be something or not something, but that may not be who he is. And we dictate who Jesus is by our own experience. Jesus likes what I like, right? I mean, he's got to. I mean, he's like, he likes the music that I like, right? He likes the songs I like to sing in church. He likes to wear jeans and a sweater. I'm sure if Jesus was walking around 2024, he would dress just like me, right? How handy. He would cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Because Taylor Swift does. I actually hate that Taylor Swift cheers for the Kansas City Chiefs, but that's on, that's on the side. 
But Jesus would cheer for a winner, and that means he would cheer for the Chiefs. <laughs> right? How handy. Jesus likes what I like. End of story. So what I like, well, that's what we need to do because that's what Jesus would want, right? That's what Jesus would want us to do in this church because that's what I like. We're all susceptible to that, all of us. In all seriousness, this does happen, right? Not just in church, but in your Christian walk. Jesus votes like I do. You ever read like an online forum? Man, everyone seems to know how Jesus would vote in an online forum. Like everyone seems to know how Jesus would vote. You know, even morality. Everyone seems to know what, Je- what stance Jesus would take. But they're all over the place. Jesus couldn't possibly believe something that I'm uncomfortable with. Would he? And we are in danger of not believing Jesus, but creating a Jesus. Jesus of Cambridge, or here's a Green Day reference, Jesus of suburbia. We tell him who he can and cannot be. All of us do this. The question that we're faced is, do I follow Jesus Ottaway or do I follow Jesus of Nazareth? Do I follow Jesus Ottaway or do I follow Jesus of Nazareth? Seriously, and I'll say this again. If you're thinking about the other person who needs to hear this message, you're missing the point. You are Nate. I am Nate in this passage. We are Nate in this passage. There's a famous line in John that Jesus will repeat over and over and over again. He's going to repeat it here in verse 51. You know what that line is? Over, he says it so many times. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. You know what Jesus says that? It literally means amen. When someone says amen and someone responds with amen, it means I agree with what you're saying. And I think that's why Jesus says it over and over and over again because we're gonna be confronted with the real Jesus and we're challenged. Is this? Like, am I, can I say amen to that? Because here's, here's, here's truly what Jesus believes and who Jesus is. And that's what John is. We're confronted over and over again. And in this series, every Sunday, which I invite you to come back every Sunday, because we're going to be confronted with the same thing. Jesus of Nazareth. And can we say amen to Jesus's amen? This is who I am. Can we say amen to that? Or are we going to create and manifest a Jesus of of our own? We're going to be confronted with Jesus. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. You get to decide whether to follow Jesus or not. That's an option Jesus gives you, but you don't get to decide whether what's true that in, in, in the Gospel of John is true about Jesus or not. You don't get to decide that. You get to decide with whether you're going to follow that, but you don't get to decide with whether this is true about Jesus or not. If there's something in this book that comes up and you're thinking, that doesn't sound like my Jesus, it might not be Jesus. How do you know? How do you know? Philip says to Nate something simple, but I think something so amazing. He doesn't say, how dare you question everything, Nate? Just, just, just believe it. How dare you question everything? We don't question things here. Because it's a good question. I mean, not least of which, theologically, Jesus is supposed to come from Bethlehem, but he doesn't know all the background yet. 
Philip says something to Nate that I think is some, super simple but amazing. Three words, come and see. Come and see. When they asked Jesus in the previous passage, where are, you, where are you staying, Jesus? What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, you know, take two lefts there and, you know, one right there and give you this address. And they're like, oh, that's a pretty good neighborhood. No, what does he say? Come with me and find out for yourself. Join me. And then you'll find out yourself. In John, maybe frustratingly so to you, Jesus doesn't give a lot of answers to your questions. Do you know what he says? Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. Some of you in your faith are really struggling that you're, you're asking God for answers, but maybe Jesus is saying to you, come and find out yourself. Come and see for yourself. This is always the call of Jesus. Come and see. I know I gotta wrap up soon. What that means though, what that means as I quickly kind of wrap things up. On one hand, it's not, I love this. It's not, it doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, It doesn't matter what you believe, whatever works for you, okay? Jesus doesn't say that, which tends to be kind of the, the, the view of our day. Whatever works for you, doesn't matter what you believe. That's not what Jesus says. On the other, it's also not, again, as I said, don't ask questions. That's not allowed. Nathaniel has legitimate concerns. His response is come and see, which is incredibly helpful to us as we, as Philip did, tell other people about Jesus as we were challenged to do in our series, Navel Gazing. If you're Philip and you've just told someone about Jesus, here's the dreaded question that you fear. What if someone has a question that I don't know the answer to, right? That's the question that you fear. If you say, hey, I've just found Jesus. Look what he's done in my life. And someone's like, well, well, what about this? And you're like, oh no, I have nothing to say to you. What do you say? Let's come find out. That's what Philip says. Let's, let's, let's find out together. Because Philip is probably like, now that you mentioned it, it sounds kind of ridiculous to me too. Nazareth does sound kind of ridiculous. But Philip doesn't have an answer, so he says, come, let's find out together. Sometimes good news hits someone immediately, but sometimes it takes a lot of time due to a lack of understanding or a lack of context. You ever tried to tell someone about a movie that you really enjoyed and their, their face is just like glazed over because they don't understand what you're saying? They don't like, they didn't figure out the same thing that you have. They don't have the same context that you have and you say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. It's in proximity with Jesus that people need to be. They can make up their own mind about him, but that's where people need to be, in proximity to Jesus. This is good news for you. This is good news for you if you're really struggling with Christianity. It's really good news for you if you're really struggling with Christianity. If you're like, I don't know about this. I've got a lot of questions. You know, things don't line up with how I see things in the world. Like, I got, I, I'm struggling with Christianity. This is really good news for you. Maybe you've had a bad experience at church. This is really good news for you. Rather than simply seek answers from every other place, Jesus says, come and find out together. Come and see. Spend time with Jesus. It's in proximity to Jesus where Christianity is to be really wrestled with. We often take it to every other source except Jesus. But it's, Christianity is supposed to be wrestled with, with Jesus. That's why for our Bible studies this winter, uh, we don't have everything figured out. We're gonna be announcing some things to you in the next couple of weeks, but we just wanna spend time with Jesus. We're trying to figure out how, what that's gonna look like. So stay tuned for that. So we want to we invite you to be a part of those. 
for Nathaniel, here's where it happens. Here's where he's invited into, and this could be kind of confusing, so I want to, I want to make sure I get, go over this passage. Look what it says in verse 47. After Philip says to him, come and see, Jesus, I mean in verse 47, Jesus sees Nathanael coming toward him, and Jesus says to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. That doesn't mean that he's a true Israelite, like he's saying, you are of the race of of, of being a Jew. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying that you're a true seeker of God. There's no guile, there's no presumption in you. You are a true seeker of God. And Nate's like, how do you know me? Uh, And Jesus is like, before Philip called you, I I saw you already. And Nate's response, he's shocked. He's like, "You you know about me already? You must be him. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. You know all things. You're the promised one. And then I love what Jesus says back to Nate. He's like, you have no idea, man. You have no idea. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, you're making claims, but you have no idea. I'm gonna do, you follow me, you're gonna see so many greater things than what you just saw. He's gonna blow your mind. You have no idea what's coming. You're gonna see even greater things. Your expectations were wrong, but they actually weren't high enough. They, they, They weren't too high, they were just wrong. You have no idea what you're getting into where this journey of discipleship is gonna go. And I would say the same thing to you. Jesus says, for now, come and see. Right now, you can't, I, I can't tell you exactly what's gonna happen, but even in my own testimony, guys, I look back at my life and I'm like, everything, everything good that I have in my life is attributed to because I follow Jesus. He's given me so many good things because I follow Jesus. And a lot of hard things, though, because I follow Jesus. But I would never have planned this in my life. But the journey is greater than you could ever imagine it to be because that's what following Jesus looks like. Everything I owe, I owe to him. Even the person that he has made me to be, I owe to him. Come and see, though, isn't merely about what he's going to do. It's, as we've been saying this whole time, it's discovering who he is. In verse 51, in verse 51, look at the last verse. He says, to, he says to Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a rather enigmatic verse. And like, what, what is that? What is Jesus even talking about here? Here's what I think Jesus is talking about. In Genesis 28, there's a guy named Jacob who has a dream, okay? He has a dream. And it's not some fever dream. I'm reading Alice in Wonderland with the kids right now by Luke. That, I don't know what, that guy was on. Like that, that book is all over the place. I'm like, what is this book? And uh, there's some things there. I'm like, I, sh- I don't know if I should be reading this to the kids or not. But it's, it's wild. Um, and it is not like, there's, there's stuff in that is not like the movie. But uh, anyway, I was I'm like, I don't know what was in this guy's head when he was writing this. But uh, it's not like that. Jacob has this dream. And he gets a dream that God gives to him. And it's a ladder stretching from heaven to earth. And there's angels ascending and descending on that ladder. Okay? And after the dream, he wakes up and he names that place Bethel, which is just El and Beth means the house of God. He names that place the house of God because this is where God has revealed himself. This is where his presence was revealed, the link between heaven and earth. But for Jacob, it was just a dream. It wasn't a lived experience, it was just a dream. Apply to us. You might be sitting 
in, the, in your chair, even in church, in your home, dreaming of some sort of greater existence than what you currently have, and it seems like it's just a dream. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Come and see. It's not just a dream. Don't think, Nathaniel, that you're just gonna see some cheap tricks, cool shows, or that I'm just interesting. I'm not interesting. I'm not entertaining. I am the I am. I am the link between heaven and earth. You'll see blind given sight, the lame walk, the enslaved set free, even the sinner forgiven in me. You'll see heaven descending to earth on the Son of Man in me. And that's not all. You're gonna see Nathaniel. When Jacob saw that dream, he, he not only saw angels descending to heaven, he saw angels us, uh, descending to earth, he saw angels ascending up to heaven. When Jacob saw that dream, he saw the way to God opened up is the stairway to heaven, but not in the way that the song is. A way that was, it was a way that was shut to him. But, and it was just a dream. And once you're awake, I'll never get there. I'll never experience that. I don't, know, I don't know the way. But Jesus is saying, do you see what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel? In me, Nathaniel, is the way to God, is the way to heaven. Come and see. The gate has been opened. It's in me. That call is initiated by Jesus himself. You notice that? When Jesus calls Nathaniel, you know, Jesus is like, there he is. There he is. And Nate's like, me? And Jesus is like, before Philip called you, I knew you. While Nathaniel was blinded by his own proclivities, he couldn't see Jesus yet. Jesus saw him the whole time. And that's true of all of us. Before you could see Jesus clearly, he actually sees you clearer than anyone else sees. Clearer than you can see yourself. That's what's true about Jesus. Jesus sees you before you ever saw him. That's always the story. And he says, Paulo, Colin, Matt, Cherish, come and see. Yeah, your expectations are gonna be wildly wrong, but they're gonna be better. It's gonna be better than what your expectations even thought it was gonna be. If you take this seriously, if you come, follow me. Jesus is not gonna be the Jesus of your own imagination, the real Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, who is better than anything we could create, institutionalize, or systematize. This is Jesus. So come and see. God, thank you for your word. I pray that this would be true of our church as we journey in 2024, that we would come and see Jesus, not Ottawa, not Jesus of Restoration Church, not Jesus of Cambridge, Ontario, not Jesus who likes everything that I like, who says everything that I want him to say, Jesus of Nazareth. Come and see who this is. And you promise that if when we come and see and we truly follow you, you're going to open up heaven. We're going to see heaven here on earth. And you will make a way for us to be with you in heaven. Blow away our expectations. I don't even really have that many. Like, I, I don't know what you want to do with us in 2024, but blow away our expectations. God.
pray that we would just be faithful to come and see every day. What, what is Jesus going to do in my life today? I pray for this in your name.